You're listening to a sermon from Red Door Church in Melbourne. For more information, go to reddoorchurch.com.au. Happy New Year to everyone. I know it's a week since the New Year, but we're still getting used to 2021. Let's just pray before we start. Lord, we come to you this morning just absolutely conscious of our need of you, Lord. Lord, you've given us your word, but unless your Holy Spirit opens our ears and opens our heart, Lord, and and instructs us through it, Lord, it's just an academic exercise. So I'm asking, Lord, would you take the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart and make it acceptable in your sight? And all God's people said, Amen. I can't imagine David, when he wrote Psalm 40, that he would have had any idea that 3,000 years later, people would be sitting here in church and being blessed and encouraged because, he, because of what he wrote. And, but that's what it is about. Psalm 40, the first line says, I waited patiently for the Lord. And Psalm 40 is not only about waiting patiently for the Lord, it tells us what to do while we're waiting patiently for the Lord, how to wait patiently for the Lord, and what is the outcome, what is the reward of us waiting patiently for the Lord. So I'm, I'm trusting you'll get as much out of this psalm as I have um, been getting it from. You know, in, in the, our Christian life, there are very few things that are instant. Salvation is one. You, you come to the Lord, you know, you might have heard a sermon, you might have had somebody talk about the Lord to you, and God puts on your heart that you need him. And that's a gift of God. He, he actually tells you that you need him. And then you believe in your heart that Jesus is your saviour. You believe that he died for your sins. And you make the decision to accept him as your Lord and saviour. And you pray a prayer and say something like, Lord, I'm yours. And that instant you are born again. You are translated from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. You now from going from um, a child of darkness to a child of light. And you are adopted into God's family instantly. But I'm sure all of us will agree that from that moment on, the whole of our Christian life we spend waiting patiently for the Lord. You think about it. All of us have something we're asking the Lord for. We're either waiting for a healing, might be some sickness in our body or sickness in somebody else we know. We might need an answer to some sort of practical prayer. We might need some finances. We might need some deliverance from something in our life that's binding us up. We might just simply want more of God. God, I want more of you. There might be something in our family. Our kids might not be going on with the Lord. And we're just waiting on the Lord patiently for him to deliver it. Um, My good friend Matt, I trust he's watching this morning, but he's the epitome of waiting on the Lord. He's had some pretty horrific health issues and he is so positive and, and just... He knows that God's there with him and taking him through it and he knows what it is to wait patiently on the Lord. And you know, the opposite of waiting patiently on the Lord is anxiety and stress. You think about it. If you've got anxiety in your life this morning, I would sort of go as far to say is that you're not waiting patiently for the Lord. Because part of waiting patiently for the Lord is giving the care of it over onto him. And so we can actually go through our life without that stress and anxiety because we are waiting patiently for the Lord. So what does it mean to wait patiently for the Lord? Um, You remember just just over a week ago when Victoria shut its borders and there was a great rush. 
people coming back from New South Wales into Victoria, and I know there were many people there who queued for five or six hours to get across the border. And I know one guy, he said, I had my patient tested today, and the test came back negative. And then he had to go and get a COVID test afterwards. Another guy was going to a, a seminar on patients, and he said, I just can't wait to get there. Some of you may have seen the old um, bumper sticker it was around many years ago. Lord, give me patience, but give it to me now. One of the things that tests my patience are roadworks. Um, don't talk to Petra afterwards about it. She won't tell nice things. You're driving a two-lane freeway, and it's 100 k's an hour, and then it goes down to 80 k's an hour, down to 60 k's an hour. No roadworks in sight, but you drive for about five kilometres and then it goes down to 40 k's an hour and it says, prepare to stop, 40 k's. And then it goes down to one lane. And this great big queue of cars down to one lane. And then beside the road, there's a great big concrete barrier that not even a, a semi-trailer could get through even if it wanted to. And then about five k's down the road, on the other side of the thing, there's one guy on the fence, 50 metres from the road, digging a hole in the fence. And then you drive for another 40 k's until you get back to the 100 k's an hour. Petra says to me, you need more patience. And me and my usual arrogant self says, what? Patience is my middle name. If I had any more patience, I'd be a doctor. But how do we actually get more patience? You know, patience is a gift or one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. If it was only that easy. James actually tells us in, in chapter 1, verse 2 to 4, if we can put that up, guys. It tells us how to actually get more patience. Now, I'm not sure you're going to want to hear this. My brothers, count it all joy when you fall into different kinds of trials, knowing that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have its perfect work so that you may be perfect and entire and lacking nothing. See, patience is an important thing on the road to you becoming more Christ-like. And according to James, the way you get it is by getting more trials and... Anyway, I don't, don't want to talk about that. See, here's the thing. You're, you're waiting, you've asked the Lord for something and you're waiting patiently for the answer, okay? But how do you know that the thing you're asking to get deliverance from hasn't been put there to God, hasn't been put there by God to make you more like Jesus, to teach you patience and ultimately to make you more perfect? Now, I'm not saying that God's not going to deliver you from it, but just be aware that God brings things into our life that aren't easy. He does. You know, and so what does it mean to actually wait on the Lord? How do we wait on the Lord? Some of you are old enough to remember um, a singer, Doris Day. I'm showing my age now. Doug will remember. But she sang a song, Que Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. She will be right. We don't have to worry about it. That is not waiting on the Lord. That's not. That's just fatalism. I don't have to pray about anything. I don't have to believe God for anything. Whatever will be, will be. That is not waiting on the Lord, and I'm going to show you why. In Micah chapter 7, there's a lovely one here. It says, But I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The important thing is there, I will look to the Lord. It's not a matter of waiting and doing nothing. We need to wait and look to the Lord. The actual Hebrew word for waiting in that thing is a word yakal, and the word wait means to, obviously wait, to tarry, to hope, to trust, to expect, to be patient, and to remain in anticipation. 
to hope, expect, and to remain in anticipation. So how do we wait for the Lord? I actually had a look up a few little uh, commentaries and one of the things said there, the correct way to hope and wait for the Lord is to steadfastly expect his mercy, his salvation and his rescue, and while waiting, not to take matters in your own, into your own hands. I mean, how many times do we do that? We say, Lord, I need this, I'm trusting you for it, and then we go and try and work it out ourselves. And the Bible is full of stories about men of God who... God told them to do something and to wait, and they tried to sort the, sort the problem out themselves. Look at Moses. You know, God told him, I want you to deliver my people. So the first thing he does, does is goes and kills an Egyptian soldier. He took matters into his own hands. David, we, we, you know, we talked about Moses, but David, can you imagine? As a, as a young man, I think he was only a teenager, he was anointed as king of Israel. You remember he was out mining his father's sheep, and Samuel the prophet came along and anointed him with oil and said, you are going to be king of Israel, all right? That was God's call on his life. Now, let's, I don't know how old, let's say he was 16. He probably thought to himself, well, I can't be king at 16. 18, yep, 18 will be good. And he got to his 18th birthday, nothing. Oh, 21, I'll be a man then, I'll be king then. He got to his 21st birthday, nothing. And it got, went from bad to worse because he went to play, you know, for Saul and Saul was jealous because he knew that David was going to be the, his successor and, and Saul spent years and years and years trying to kill David and he's David, Lord, I'm waiting patiently for you. You've told me I'm going to be king and I hear he is, he's chasing me and trying to kill me and one day David was actually hiding in a cave and Saul and, and his guys came and and camped at that cave and Saul went in the cave to sleep and David was there and had a knife. How easy would it have been to say, well, look, Lord, I've been anointed to be king. Obviously, you brought Saul to me. Let me finish him off and then I'll be king and your purposes will be fulfilled. And David refused. He said, how dare I lift my hand against the Lord's anointed. And he refused to take the matters into his own hand. And it went on for years afterwards. It wasn't until he was 30 that he finally became king. And, and he ruled for 40 years in a wonderful time. He didn't take things into his own hand. Now, the opposite of that, of course, is not doing anything. You know, let's say you've lost your job and you need to get another job and you sit at home watching TV and say, oh, well, God will get me a job. She'll be right, God will get me a job. You've got to apply for a job. <laughs> I don't think I've ever heard of any employer ringing up somebody who hasn't put an application and saying, oh, look, I just think I should ring you and offer you a job. You've got to apply for a job. That thing about waiting, it says there to wait and to remain in anticipation and to hope and expect. Now, hoping sounds an awful lot like faith. Let's have a look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 11 verse 1, it says, Now, faith is a reality of what is hoped for. The proof of what is not seen. Paul tells us many times, at least three times in the Bible, that the just shall live by faith. And God puts us in situations where he wants to test our faith. He expects us to wait patiently and expectantly for his rescue. So faith is actually hearing from God and waiting patiently for the answer. Very rarely does God, you know, I wish God would get his act together. Surely when I pray, 
God can just go snap of the fingers and just answer that prayer immediately, couldn't he? But rarely does he do that. Rarely does he do it. He, he asks us to wait patiently for the answer. And I can tell you now that waiting on God, waiting patiently on God, is a godly place to be. It is a wonderful place to be. I said it there, to reign in anticipation. You know, kids, coming up to Christmas, do you know what the best part of Christmas is? The day before Christmas. Because you know it's only one more sleep until the presents. One more sleep until the family gets together. One more sleep until you have that big meal. One more sleep until Christmas. And I tell you what, that is even more exciting than the day after Christmas when you've already had your presents. Oh, yeah, okay, now I wonder what's next. One of my grandsons, he, he, I think he was about eight or so, everybody, you know, around the family Christmas time, everybody gave him a present. He's made the, just what I've always wanted. And he would rip the paper, wow. And then he'd throw it on the floor and say, what's next? That's not faith. So the first thing you've got to do when you're waiting patiently for the Lord is to wait in faith, expectantly, believing that God will deliver. God is a God of deliverance. I'm just going to read through a little quick list here. The children of Israel in Egypt. You know, as you read through those stories of the plagues, you can almost get a sense of God's delight in showing his arm strong to deliver his children out of Israel. It's worth another read. Daniel in the lion's den, he was praying and he got thrown into a a den of hungry lions. Now it's interesting, God God didn't deliver him out of the lion's den. He just simply shut the lion's mouths. Maybe you're in a situation where, God, get me out of this situation. And he says, no, look, I've got you there. I'll put you there. But he'll shut the mouths of those who want to take you out. And he'll give you that sort of deliverance. Remember the three Hebrew boys in the fiery furnace? You know, they were thrown in. He could have stopped them going in, but he allowed them to be thrown in that fiery furnace. And then a fourth one appeared, like the Son of Man. He had a, they had a, a visitation by a pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ, and the, and the bonds were burnt off. But they weren't delivered from the furnace. They were delivered from the bonds that in there. And they found Jesus in the furnace. Wow. Peter in jail. Remember the Christians were praying for Peter. And an angel came and opened the doors of the prison. An actual angel came. He stood face to face with an angel and brought him out. So faith is very important. Mark 11, um, chapter 11, 20 to 24, gives us a lovely story about um, faith. Jesus was passing by a fig tree and he expected to get some figs and there was none there. And he cursed that fig tree and said, let no one eat of you again. And they came back the next morning in verse 20. It says, early in the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree withered by the roots, uh, from the roots up. And then Peter remembered, he said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus replied to them, have faith in God. Truly I tell you, anyone that says to this mountain, be lifted up and thrown in the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, everything you pray for, Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. You'll notice the emphasis there in pr- about prayer. Everything you pray and ask for, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So the second thing, the first thing to do when you're waiting on the Lord is to wait in faith. The secondly, I think you should do is pray. There's prayer in this prayer. We can pray and say, you know, God bless the missionaries. God bless mum and dad. 
remember like a little child, and just go through the routine of praying. But I believe that prayer is a powerful experience where we actually pray God's will into into a situation. Under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, prayer becomes a wonderful, wonderful, I'll just use a tool of God. Last Sunday morning, you know, John unburdened his heart about the lament. I can't remember what psalm it was, but it was Psalm 13. And John unburdened his heart. And as I was praying at the front, I just felt the Holy Spirit come upon me and we all reached our, heart, our hand out towards John o to pray for him. And that's what, I, that's what I call praying under the Holy Spirit, under the anointing. It was, I assume it was very powerful for you. It was, it was certainly powerful for me. If you want to get a lesson on prayer, go and read Daniel chapter 9. Right, for time's sake, I'll just do it very quickly. Um, they're in exile. The children of Israel in Babylon, they're in exile. And he reads in the, in the scroll of a Jeremiah that... God was going to keep them there for 70 years and he checked his calendar and they'd been there for 70 years now he could have done he could have just said well okay Sarah Sarah God's going to deliver us she'll be right mate and do nothing about it but no he went into earnest prayer he prayed, prayed prayers of repentance prayers of earnest supplication to God to deliver his people and God not only delivered the people not only answered his prayer but the angel Gabriel came and gave him revelation about end time stuff. So God gave him so much more than what he just prayed for. So there's a key for you guys. If you, you know, come into the Lord in prayer, earnest prayer, and I can guarantee you God will give you even more than you, than you pray for. There's a, there's a beautiful reading in James chapter 5. Let's have a look at this one. Is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is, is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the sick person and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. Elijah was a human, just as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain. And then he prayed again and the sky gave rain and the, Lord, and the land produced his fruit. Elijah just didn't think, oh, what am I going to pray for today? I know, I'm going to stop the rain for three years. No, that was the Holy Spirit came upon him and told him to pray that the rain would be stopped and it did. And then he, the Holy Spirit came on in again and he prayed earnestly and it started to rain again. Elijah was praying under the anointing. And so for us, while we're waiting on the Lord, we need to pray and we need to ask the Lord to give us that anointing of the Holy Spirit so that we're praying his prayers and his thoughts and his mind. We can pray on our own. We can pray in groups. I've got two things here that the Avenger praying in a group. It combines our faith. As we come to God, we can agree and support others in prayer. So if you come to a prayer meeting, and even if you don't pray, you can say amen and you can agree and combine your faith with the prayers of others. And the second thing it does, it actually builds our faith as we hear and see others in prayer. Now, prayer is something you can learn. You don't come to become a Christian and the first time you pray, you become a great prayer warrior. It's something you learn, but you do need to start can I just encourage everybody, when you get the opportunity to go to a prayer meeting, and I know Suzanne does church prayer meetings, 
come and get involved. It's a wonderful place to learn about the power of prayer and the power of God. So there's two things. We can wait in faith and we can wait in prayer. The third thing, which is in Psalm 40, tells us we can sing. Let's have a look at verse 3 in Psalm 40. It says, He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to my God. Many will see and fear and they will trust in the Lord. It's a little bit of a left field one. You know, if I'm waiting on the Lord, why should I sing? But many times through the Bible, we're told to give thanks to God, to praise his name, and we're even commanded to sing. I just did a a search on Psalms alone, and 56 times in the book of Psalms, it says, sing to the Lord. You know, when when we sing praises and give thanks to God, we're actually expressing our faith in God that he is able to deliver us. And so it's an important part of our waiting on the Lord. Back in the middle of... The pandemic in the back in the middle of the, the lockdown about July August they were pretty dark days to be honest they were pretty dark days I mean we, we had Zoom church and we could talk to our family on FaceTime and Zoom but the fact that we couldn't go and see our kids even we couldn't go and see our grandkids um, we weren't allowed to go more than what is it 15 or 20 k's from home we were in lockdown and they were pretty dark days. And he had this song. Um, Petra quite often has songs playing around the house. And this song, I heard her, her playing, um, and, I, and it's by Philippa Hannah. It's called You're Still God. And just read a couple of verses. Now, put yourself back in lockdown. Imagine you're in dark times in lockdown. And this came over the radio waves. When all foundations have been shaken, when I'm left standing in the dark, and all I feel is my heart breaking. You still reign and you're still God. And when it feels that all hope has faded and heavy questions hit so hard and though my soul may feel so forsaken, you still reign and you're still God. Though I can't see what's before me, I know I can trust your heart and this one truth will be my story. You still reign and you're still God. I tell you what, songs lift you up. They lift you up. Have them playing around the house, even if you're not singing yourself. Have them, because they will definitely lift your spirit. It also says that many will see and fear, <laughs> trust in the Lord. I'm hoping that they, your singing isn't that bad, that they're going to fear and pray that, God, would you please stop the singing? <laughs> but no, singing is a testimony to the Lord. Many will hear and get the testimony that you are actually singing. You'll, you know, whenever... Um, Pedro leads. You'll hear him when he, when we're singing. He'll say, "Somebody testify," because that's what you're doing. You're declaring God's goodness. You know, we sang this morning. You are our everlasting God. We were testifying to God's goodness, weren't we? We're proclaiming God's um, deliverance for us. So the third, the fourth thing that we we can do in Psalm 40, it says, "Be careful of where we take our advice." If you have a look at verse four. It says, how happy is anyone who puts his trust in the Lord and has not turned to the proud and, or those who run after lies? There's two elements of that. There's trusting in the Lord and there's not turning to those who are proud or after lies. One of my favourite verses in the Bible in, in Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. What does that mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart? It means that you don't have a plan B. 
You don't go to God with your prayers and your needs with a parachute strapped on your back and say, well, you know, God, if you don't come through, I'm pulling the ripcord and I'm out of here. That's not trusting the Lord with all your heart. If you trust the Lord, you don't have a plan B. God, it's you or nothing. I don't have, a, I don't have another way out. It's just you. I trust you with all my heart. And the second thing is there that we don't turn to the proud or listen to those that have lies. You know, 2020 has been a very tumultuous year with the pandemic and certainly with American politics. And unfortunately, one of the greatest casualties of 2020 has been truth. I'm not going down that path. Psalm 1 tells us, How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners and sit in the company of the mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He shall be like a tree planted beside streams that bear, it, streams that bear its fruit in the season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. So where do you get your advice from? Who do you listen to while you're waiting on the Lord? Well, the main source is obviously the word of God. It's interesting, Petra and I are in a process right now of waiting on the Lord. There's a situation in our life where we need an answer and we just need to wait upon the Lord. And as I was reading through, just particularly in um, December, I was reading through the book of Isaiah again. It's a very prophetic verse. There wasn't one day that I read the Bible that the Lord didn't speak to me. You should see my, my book of Isaiah It's got highlight on every second verse. It's got underline. It's got writing in the margin. God spoke to me every day out of the book of Isaiah about what we were waiting waiting on. And if you go to God the same way and and expect the Lord, just when you read the Bible, say, Lord, speak to me through your word. Have a highlighter ready. Have a pen ready. You'll find that he will give you encouragements and, and he'll speak to you through that. And surround yourself with people of faith. You are here in church this morning. People of faith who believe that God will give you an answer. The fifth thing that Psalm 40 tells us to do while we're waiting is to remind ourselves of God's goodness, his mercy mercy and faithfulness. Verse 5 tells us, Lord my God, you have done many things, your wondrous works and and your plans for us. None can compare with you. If I were to report and speak of them, they would be more than can be told. What good things has God done for you? He's saved you, he's healed you, he's delivered you, he's answered prayers in the past, he's provided a church for you to worship God in, he's given you friends, he's given you a loving family, he's given people around you who can encourage you. As you remind yourself of the good things that God has done for you, that will help you wait because you know that God's on your case and he's working for you and you can get encouragement through getting that word of God. If you ever doubt that God's got your case in hand, ever doubt that God cares for you or he's got you in mind, go and read Psalm 139. I haven't got time to read it all. Just picked a couple of verses out, verse 17 and 18. It says, God, God, how precious are your thoughts to me, are to me? How vast is your sum of them? And if you read the King James, it actually has a slightly different wording. It says, you are thinking of me. Verse 18, if I counted them, they, are, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. You know, God is thinking of you right now. You are on God's mind right now. He never, ever will leave us nor forsake us. You know, he puts us in situations 
that will test our faith, but he'll never leave us alone. He's there with you. He's upholding you. He's, he's, he's there holding your hand. And he wants you to know him more and to love and trust him through the situations that you, you face. You know, I notice there's some... We've got a lot, a lot of young parents around. Well, not young parents. Parents with young kids. You know, God, God gives us kids for two reasons. Well, three. One, to test our insanity. But the other reasons, obviously, to, to make, continue our families. But the main reason that God gives you kids is to teach you or to show you what it's like to have unconditional, unconditional love. There is nothing you won't do for your kids. You would lay down your life gladly for your kids. And that unconditional love of your, in your heart for your kids, God says, you think that's strong love. You, you should see what I've got for you. God, your heavenly Father, has that unconditional love for you that much more than even a, a mum and dad has for their own kids. So next time you hold your kids in your arms or you, you hold them on your knee, just remember that God has got you on his knee. We've got to move quickly. We definitely have to move quickly. Um, verse 6 says, you have opened my ears. Joe prayed that when, when she read there, that you opened my ears. The fact that you are listening to this sermon right now is, an, is a gift of grace from God. There are many people who need to hear that God is for them and that God will deliver them and yet their ears are shut. Verse 8 says, I delight to do your will. My God and your instruction is deep within me. Now, I know this passage here is prophetic of Jesus because when you read the book of Hebrew, it talks about Jesus fulfilling that prophecy about I delight to do your, your will, O Lord. But all of our life, there's a struggle going on in our, in our hearts and our minds about who's going to be in control. You know, God gave us an ego... And it's a self-will. It says, I want to do things my way. I want to please myself. And unfortunately, when we come to Jesus and we make him Lord of our life, that ego doesn't go away. That ego doesn't, doesn't die. That's something we have to do every day of our life. We have to put Jesus on the throne of our heart every day. Otherwise, our old self, our old ego, rises up again and wants to take control. So while you're waiting patiently on the Lord, just ask yourself, Lord, who... Who's in control of my life? Is it me, my, and I, or have I surrendered to Jesus and let him take over? You know, in, in verse 2, it talks about us being in a miry, miry clay in the miry pit. Ask how you got there. I can guarantee it's because we did our own thing and not waited patiently on the Lord. There's a lovely verse in Isaiah 55. The guys can throw it up there. It's, it's one of my, I guess, favourite verse in the Bible. It says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration. For as the heaven is higher than the earth, so are my ways, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are your thoughts. We, now, we need to allow God to be God in a situation. You know, if, you've, if you say, Lord, I'm waiting patiently on you and you have it worked out in your mind how it's going to happen. Well, Lord, you're going to do this and then I'm going to do that. Somebody else will do that and then that'll, that'll be the answer. And God says, no, look, my ways are not your ways. My ways are higher. My thoughts are higher than your ways. I have an answer that you haven't even thought of yet. And I can promise you that you'll be disappointed if you're waiting on the Lord 
only to accept the answer that you think you should have, you'll probably be disappointed because God is the God of endless possibilities, unlimited, endless possibilities. So as you pray and wait patiently on the Lord, say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. God has a long-term perspective for you. He says in Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you. This is the Lord's declaration. Plans for your well-being and not for your disaster, to give you a future and a hope. You know, God's plan for your life might be some short-term suffering for your long-term benefit. God takes us through some tough times. He does. You know, car accidents do happen. Cancers come. There are situations in our life that God takes us through to teach us how to trust him and how to wait patiently on him, but be open to his potential for his gracious answer. Verse 9 and 10 in chapter 40 says, I proclaim righteousness in the great assembly. See, I do not keep my mouth closed, as you know, Lord. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. I speak about your faithfulness and salvation. I did not conceal your constant love and truth from the great assembly. You know, I think one of the most powerful times we have in church is when we have a sharing time. And Pastor Jonathan passes the mic around for people to share. And I can tell you what, a testimony about God's deliverance and God's goodness in your life, it might be something really simple, but a testimony about a real thing that God's done in your life can be far more powerful to somebody who needs to hear that than a great big long sermon. I remember Anne, a few years ago, shared a testimony, and I I can't, it's a couple of years ago now, I can't remember the gist of it, but I still remember how powerful it was in the church. You know, I don't think there was a dry eye in the house. So a testimony can be really, really powerful. So when there's an opportunity to share, please do. It might be simple, but share the goodness of God. You don't know who you're going to encourage. The next thing that he wants us to do while we're waiting on the Lord is to acknowledge our sins and failings. In verse 11 and 12, he says, Lord, you do not withhold your compassion from me. Your constant love and truth will always guard me. For troubles without number have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me. I'm unable to see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my courage leaves me. In some of of cases, my my iniquity is actually more than the hairs of my head, but we won't worry about that. It's interesting. It says there that I'm unable to see. Did you know that sin blinds us to the purposes of God? When we're living in sin, even as a Christian, and you don't confess... It blinds us to what God's really doing in our life. Isaiah, in in chapter 6, he had this wonderful vision of the Lord. And Isaiah was a holy man. He was a prophet of God. He knew the power of God. God spoke to him every day in prophecies. And he had this vision of the Lord. And yet in verse 6, he says, Then I said, Woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king. Everybody, without exception, who has an encounter with God, all have the same reaction. They see God's holiness and they see their own sinfulness. I, I, I watched a TV show, a documentary a week or so ago, 
And the heading was Armageddon. I thought this would be interesting. So it was Sean McAuliffe, an Australian guy, and he was going to the Holy Land looking at these sites from Revelation about where the end of the world's going to take place, the Battle of Armageddon. And a Pentecostal pastor was taking him on all these sites. They went to Jerusalem and they went to the Valley of Megiddo where Armageddon's going to take place. And they came to the River Jordan and there was a group of people being baptised in the River Jordan. And the Pentecostal pastors turned to Sean because he'd been talking, talking to him all the way through about God's purposes and God's plans and God's love and what all the things are going to do. And he said to Sean, do you feel the need to repent of your sin and turn to God? And Sean said, I don't think I've got anything to repent of. You know, how sad is that? Not, not that Sean wasn't living a probably a good life. He probably wasn't sleeping with his neighbour's wife or anything like that. But it's, it's a grace of God to show us that we need God, that we need to repent of our sins. You know, John, John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So here we're getting to the end. Finally, in verse 16, it says, let all who seek you rejoice and be glad glad in you. Let those who love your salvation continually say, the Lord is great. It says, let all those who seek you. So that's something else we can do while we're waiting on the Lord. Seek the Lord. Have a heart that's after God, that continually seeks him. Be hungry and thirsty for the things of God. Isaiah 55 implores us in verse 1, come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. And in verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found, Call to him while he is near. You know, if you're feeling the need of God in your heart, thank you, Lord. There are many times in our Christian life where we don't, where we're going along and we're pretty self-satisfied and things are going okay. But sometimes God puts us in situations where we have to wait upon the Lord and part of that waiting upon the Lord is to seek him, Lord, and set yourself aside. Read read his word and pray and seek the Lord while he may be found. Come and find him while he is near. It's a grace of God that we're able to even seek the Lord. Finally, I've got a promise here for those who wait upon the Lord. In Isaiah 40, there's a beautiful passage here. It says, Youths may faint and, and become weary. Young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord, and the King James says, those who wait upon the Lord, they shall renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. That image of soaring like an eagle, you've watched, everybody's watched eagles. Do you know how much work they do to get up there? (laughs) Almost none. I think they have about two flaps to get off the ground. And from there on, they just use the thermals and they soar higher. And I've seen them up where they're just a speck in the sky. You know, they're a couple of thousand feet in the sky. They've soared on wings of eagles, using the wind to take them to where they need to go. And I still remember Jono's sermon where he talked about the wind of the Holy Spirit in our sails. Either us being a rowboat where we're trying to row to where God wants us to be, or we let the wind fill our sails, the wind of the Holy Spirit. And we can be like those eagles and let the Holy Spirit take us up to where God's perspective is. The eagle can see things in a whole different perspective. And if, as we wait upon the Lord, trust him and say, Lord, show me from your perspective. Take me up in the wings of the eagles like the Holy Spirit and let me see things from your result, from your point of view, Lord. 
And so finally, what, what's the outcome of waiting patiently on the Lord? If we go back to verse 1 and 2, this is the last bit, I promise. It says in verse 1, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he turned to me and heard my cry for help. He brought me up from a desolate pit out of a muddy clay and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. A couple of things here. The Lord, he turned to me. What a beautiful, beautiful thought. Can you, can you get your head around this? The God of the whole universe, the one who made the stars and the planets and the earth. There are how many billion people on the, on the earth right now? I don't know, I've lost count. And yet I come to the Lord in time of need and I cry out to the Lord and he stops what he's doing and he turns to me. You are so special to the Lord that he stops and he turns to you. He inclines to you. It says he stopped and he heard my cry. As we're waiting on the Lord for an answer, we cry out to him. He stops and he listens to our cry. He brought us out of a desolate pit, out of a muddy clay. We're in a situation where we can't help ourselves. You know, you've ever been in, in mud up to your waist and try to get yourself out? <laughs> the more you push down to get yourself up, the more you go in the mud. You can't help yourself. God has to lift you out of the clay. And it says that he set my feet upon a rock, and we know who that rock is. That rock is Jesus. He's immovable, unshakable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the one we can put our trust in. He is the one that we can put our whole lives, our situations in. He doesn't take us out of the storms of life. He puts us on a rock in the storm so that we would not be shaken. There's a lovely verse in Timothy. I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That's Jesus. I know that he will come through for me. I know that I can put my life in him. You have a father, heavenly father, who loves you, who you can trust completely. He will lead you and guide you and deliver you and set your feet upon the rock. How happy are you in that place of waiting? It's a great place to be. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, everyone in this church, Lord, is waiting on you, Lord. We're waiting patiently for you. We all have different situations in our life, Lord, where we need an answer. But, Father, I just pray that even right now, Lord, as we wait upon you, Lord, you would fill us with your hope, expectation and anticipation that we might go through this season of our life, Lord, and that it would not be wasted on us, Lord, but that we would be, Lord, lifted up on wings of eagles, Lord. You would take us into new places in you, Father, that we'll find new depths of faith and encouragement in our life, Lord, that, Lord, not only will we go through this season of waiting, Lord, but we will see the deliverance of our God. So I pray for each person here, Lord, that they might just put their heart and seek you with all of their hearts, Lord, and find you to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.